have a wonderful message to give away. Uh, we, uh, by your grace, are the recipients of that message, the, the ones who get to enjoy it ourselves and live in the midst of it and revel in it. And, um, and we, we, we get to talk to people about Jesus. It's a great thing. And it's difficult. And it's challenging. And uh, it uh, confronts the comfort that we usually crave for in our own lives. So help us uh, to be those who uh, re-choose because we are repenting and that we desire to live for the sake of others. Help us to see that as we see um, some examples tonight from the life of the Apostle Paul and enable us uh, to please you and to be a blessing to others. Um, make us like our Savior, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Jeff, it feels a little loud. He left. He departed. He's no longer in the building. So, um, if you have a form of Bible, electronic, or it looks like there's ones in the chairs, there's two passages we are going to look at some uh, tonight. The first one's from uh, 1 Thessalonians 2. Uh, This is Paul recounting um, the way that he ministered among the Thessalonians, and I'm going to read it and just make one comment. So 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 8. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came to you with, came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people whether from you or from others. Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Um. This is a text, uh, every time that I read it and speak on it, and I've done it more times than I could number, it continues to challenge me every single time I read it or think about it. Because I see that the way that Holy Spirit worked in Paul was he, in, in Philippians, you hear him call um, the congregation there his joy and his crown. The way that Paul viewed people um, was really rather uh, amazing. Um, he was, I would say, incredibly people-oriented. And that's what, you, that's what you see here. The biggest thing that sticks out to me in this passage is uh, verse 8. Being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you'd become very dear to us. People know when they're being loved on purpose. They may refuse it, but that's on them. And I find that very, very few people refuse to be loved. There are some outliers. But very few people refuse to be loved. Rarely does that happen. So I'd like you to think about what could help you move towards that kind of missionary lifestyle that we've been thinking about. The main theme for our time tonight is barriers. So what are the kinds of barriers that you feel internally to moving towards this missionary lifestyle? And then one possible barrier that we're going to look at together is how you conceive of evangelism. Okay, so what personal barriers, and then also kind of a thought barrier or a mental barrier about how you think about evangelism. So here's the question to be thinking about. What could help you move towards that kind of missionary lifestyle, one lives self-consciously for the sake of others? 
The first thing that I'm aware of that it takes is getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, this lifestyle is very different. It does um, take from us comfort that we have previously had and ways in which we sought joy out of life because we're choosing very differently. Um, and, and you should know that, that I say that because when my family and I were considering making this sort of change to the way that we thought about it, it dawned on us how really our entire lifestyle would need to change. That this missionary way of living is not a tack on. It's not something you can go, oh, I can add that to my life. No, for most of us, our lives are already too full already. We couldn't possibly add something. We might say that we could, but we can't actually, right? It's more of a wholesale renovation, but it's one that I can tell you uh, that we ended up doing with no regrets. The church that I led in West Seattle, um, in the midst of a sermon trying to talk about this a little bit, um, I came to, I don't want to lose that. Will this flip, Jeff? (gasps) Dun, dun, dun. Nice. All right. Let's do a checklist together. What makes up the life of a good Christian? What's a good Christian do? They pray. Good. What else? Can we just say read the Bible? Okay. All right, what else? They go to worship. All right, what else? Okay, so they obey. All right, now, uh, maybe one more. They fast. The occasional Christian does do that. And one more, they share. That would be great if they didn't. And they give. So, the way that most people think about Christianity, and as they evaluate themselves and they go, am I a good Christian? They go, well, I pray, I read the Bible, I go to worship, I obey, mostly. I never fast. (laughs) I do, no, I never share. And yeah, I kind of give. Okay. So, they're evaluating themselves against this checklist And in the midst of a sermon, I kind of said, this is like thinking about Christianity like it's a bunch of checkboxes, checkbox Christianity. Okay, so this is how I evaluate whether I'm a good Christian. Check the boxes, I'm a good Christian. The problem is um, that this move to missionary living is a move from having sort of a definite, I would say, kind of controlled, it's at my... um, uh, at my schedule, right? You're moving from the sort of definite controlled checkbox form of Christianity to something that's much more ambiguous because relationships are always on. Um, I travel a lot, mostly by myself, and um, I took my wife away on a trip for our 25th anniversary last year, and uh, we're on the first flight, and she looks at me and she goes, I think you've forgotten how to fly together. And I was like, what? And she's like, you're acting like I'm not even here. Ow! It was true. It was painful. We got it remedied. But um, I was acting like flying was a task. Like I was just trying to get somewhere. Right? But I wasn't treating it as though it was relationship. A lot of us go through life and we think about the Christian life as this series of checkboxes. And if I do them, I'm a good Christian. But I'm not thinking about that continuously I'm in relationship with people as a missionary. And so um, I'm on, not off. 
Uh, metaphorically, you can think of it this way. Jesus might have you on the road to Jericho where you come across someone in need at any time. And our posture, thankful for God's mercy to us, is to be available. Is to be willing to be on for the sake of others. Now that's a very sacrificial way to live. Uh, Jesus put it this way in Mark 8.34, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him, you know what the next word say? Deny himself and take up, take up his cross and follow me. So we follow a savior that has said that that's what living um, in relationship with him looks like. And it's, that is why I think that's what we see. Uh, the reason I like the Thessalonians passage is we see Paul exampling that. We see him saying, hey, you know how we lived among you. Not just that we talked words to you on our schedule, but we loved you so much that we shared our lives with you. People know whether you actually are for them. So, this getting comfortable with being uncomfortable is, it's uncomfortable to be on all the time. I get on planes now, I still mostly fly by myself, and I am thinking about what? What I need to get done. At least on plane flights that I, where I go from the west to the east, I'm thinking about what I need to get done, getting my laptop out as soon as I can, and I'm getting the tasks done that I need to get done. Except there's somebody sitting next to me. And occasionally they want to talk. This has changed since COVID. It's one of the things that's changed since COVID. It's interesting. Planes are very different places than they used to be. Anyhow. But occasionally you get somebody who's a talker. And I'm like, supposed to be getting something done. And they pray. Maybe I had a different plan than you did today, Matt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, Lord. Um, and so that be willingness to be on is super important. It's also very uncomfortable. It's very different than most of us have lived or learned that the Christian life was about. This means that our prayer life for ourselves must increase. This isn't the only area, though, where people um, have challenges with this missionary lifestyle. They also have uh, fears, uh, personal barriers, and concerns. They have particular ways related to them as an individual about, why, uh, about what makes them uncomfortable about this. So I would like you just for a moment, in the privacy of your own writing on your note sheet, you see the little opening, that little white space underneath? What are your fears, barriers, and concerns? That's for you. So you get three minutes. What scares you about this? What concerns you about it? What feels like a barrier to you? Right? Okay. Ready, set, right. All right. Who wants to share something? Yep. All the way in the back. Okay. <coughs> yeah. Yep. I hear ya. I'm a I, uh, high empath, and uh, if you're somebody like that, you can't not not feel when someone else hurts. And it, it, I have days I get wiped out because somebody else that I'm in relationship with is in a horrible situation, and I'm, I'm done. Yeah, so I feel it. Okay, who else? Fear, barrier, personal concern. 
Okay. Yep. For sure. Personal rejection. People sort of, you know, laughing in your face. Yep. For sure. What else? Others? Okay. So the potential to lose relationship, right? Yeah, yep, yep, I hear you. You work in a place that does not um, reflect the Lord, and you try and reflect the Lord in your workplace, and what is that? How does that put my job at risk? Right? Yep, good. Anybody fear being, is one of mine being seen as judgmental? Yeah, I fear that. <laughs> yep. So, um, hopefully you got three there or, or two or three that you can be praying over for yourself, right? And these are things that you can bring to the Lord. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's fascinating to me um, that you hear it echoed in this Thessalonians passage, and we'll think about it some tomorrow in the sermon. Um, but it, it appears perhaps because of his upbringing or his background or whatever, Paul makes a big deal out of not pleasing man. It's an ongoing theme in his writings. And I think that we live in a time where that is predominates our thinking, right? And growing in Christ in such a way that it's kind of like, I love you enough to be willing to put a relationship at risk or to face rejection or, or to face the risk of being seen as judgmental. But I love you enough to do that. Right, um, and for Paul, this was a way that the Lord had grown him, and it gave him. It, he prayed for boldness, and the Lord gave him boldness. And um, it's a, a frequent. It ought to be a frequent prayer of ours. All right. So hopefully you've got those. You can pray for those for yourself, and and disclose as you're comfortable with others that you're in community with here that you can pray together. I think this is again one of the most important things that we can do. Right, is pray for us to be different. All right, let's go on and think about a major area that I hear from people. In fact, I heard it this morning. I asked, um, missionary, a missionary is, or a missionary does, or missionaries, and somebody said they're an extrovert, okay? Which is actually really, really common misconception uh, about this. And so let's, let's take right on introversion, extroversion, and evangelism. Um, so I, I'm, the first thing I'm going to do is give you a disclaimer. I am not an expert on introversion, uh, extroversion, and evangelism. I have thought about it a fair bit, but I'm going to do some gross generalizing that some will frustrate some of you, and so recognize that this is a generally speaking, okay? So generally speaking, let's think about introversion, extroversion, and evangelism. Generally speaking, introverts gain or regain emotional energy by being alone. They have a smaller total circle of friends, but they tend to be quite close to them. They have fewer but deeper relationships. Gross generalization, all right, for introverts. Introverts have an enormous evangelism advantage. Introverts have an enormous evangelism advantage. They are more used to having deeper conversations with individual people. And that is, <laughs> this is deeper conversations with individual people. And introverts are actually more equipped for that than many extroverts. That's probably new news to you. Okay? What's the challenge for introverts related to evangelism? New relationships. So if you took your 10 and you squished in the space that three take, and you're making space for three new people, the relational energy, the emotional energy involved in forming three new relationships, it's just there. It's real. It's true. It's going to take more. And if you don't feel like you've got a lot of emotional energy, then that's your challenge, is how do you... How do you gain enough energy to pursue and engage three new people that don't know the Lord. So the challenge 
is that new relationships will take relational energy. Let's think about extroverts. Generally speaking, extroverts gain emotional energy by being with people. They have a larger total circle of friends. However, they tend to go less deep with them. They have more, generally speaking, more superficial relationships. The huge extroverts have a huge evangelism advantage. Also, their advantage is they're used to talking to a wider range of people regularly. That's not your barrier. It's not hard for you talk to people, right? If you're an extrovert. The challenge, the evangelism challenge for extroverts is going deeper. Especially when the result might mean losing a relationship with a person that you like being with. It feels very risky to share the gospel. I think that um, for uh, people who see themselves as either introverts or extroverts, I think that people can also be concerned stylistically that they're going to be pushed into a certain mold of evangelism. Evangelism looks like this, and everybody should do it. And if it's an introverted way of evangelism, extroverts look at it and go, I could never do that. And if it's an extroverted way of evangelism, introverts look at it and they're like, I could never do that. Right? And I'm not sure that Jesus is interested in that for any of us. How you go about building relationships and sharing the message is up to you. I'll share some about me in a minute here. Um, it, why? I think both introverts and extroverts have a huge evangelism advantage. An introvert knows how another introvert thinks and ponders and lives. Many times the internal processor. Extroverts, understand that they're extroverts. Mostly verbal processors, external processors. So you get, in some way, you get people that are like you in a way that people who are unlike them don't get them. And that's an advantage to think through. You're, if you will, keyed to reach them as the opposites tend to detract, <laughs> not attract. All right. So, um, that's one big barrier that I've sort of run into through time um, that, I, anyways, it's worth dealing with because I hear about it a lot. All right, questions on that before I move on? Josh, when am I supposed to be done? Okay. Oh, no, don't say that. That's bad. Never, never give a speaker that much leash. Okay. Yeah, I'll be done before then, but that's good. Okay, all right, so let me take a pause at that point and let you ask any questions that you got before I go on and talk a little bit more uh, as you would think about your, your contacts. So we're going to go back to your cards here in just a second. But with the content that I've given you, um, what, any, um, anything you want to fire back at me or ask questions about? Everyone's half delirious from dinner. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I think that you can you can make something powerful so my wife and I are like are like this. And so if we're if um, if if there is a um, a party to go to, right? Um, I take my wife because I don't do parties. I don't do big groups. I do big groups as a speaker. I just don't do big groups relationally. If there is a couple to have over for dinner, my wife wants me there because. I'm the one that helps the conversation go somewhere. And so we, different kinds of situations, we can cross-fertilize with each other and help it work. So that can be powerful, if you think about it. We certainly do that, my wife and I do. We do parties together, and we also have 
small groups of people over together because she can um, she can feel like the conversation is going to die and get fearful. That never even occurs to me. There are always more possibilities of conversation. It just doesn't have two times in almost 30 years of knowing each other. Have we had people over and there's actually been like a pause that was uncomfortable and we've had hundreds and hundreds of people in our homes. So anyways, that's a way to think about it, sir. Mm-hmm. You can. Right. Right. Yep. That's good. That's good. Other questions? Thoughts? All right. Pull out your cards. As you think about the three people on those cards, what is the next step? that you would like to take in relationship with this person? What's the next activity? So the last thing that should be on your cards there, at least what our mind is, um, I had some questions and I had some personal barriers that I had written down that I needed to pray over for each of my three. So the next thing is um, reach, reaching out to people. Relationship always takes some degree of planning and deliberateness. Right? So I'm encouraging your deliberateness. So what's the next thing that you would like to do with these three people? Um, and I'll encourage you. Um, it, it can vary what it is, right? Sometimes a guy will say, I want to take a guy to a ball game. Great. That's an awesome thing. Or go fishing or do some activity together. It could be um, that you um, are going to meet them and play some sport together. Um, the main way that I met people in Seattle who weren't local, like neighbors on our street, was I played bracketball, and that worked for me because I because I don't do parties. I mean, I do. I was fairly proud of myself. I stayed here for almost three hours last night all by myself. You all were very kind to me, which was nice. Um, but that's that's a long time for me in a big group of people that I don't know. So uh, my wife was like, "We're leaving already." That's exactly what she would have said last night. <laughs> I called her and said, you would have been proud of me. I made it almost three hours by myself. So I don't meet people well in large groups. I meet people very well one-on-one. And so I built the way that I met people to fit me. When you play racquetball with a group of people, and I had profound relationship with this group of 20 or 25 people that I played racquetball with, but you will only meet them one at a time. And that fits me. So what fits you? What's a way that fits you about how you could take the next step with these three people? Okay? Ready? Set? Right. All right. What do you got? Throw some stuff out. What are your ideas? Because you'll spur other people's ideas by sharing yours. Right, you'll be creative in a way that they might not have been. Oh, that's a really good idea. Okay, so what are some things that you thought of that you'd like to do? What next step you'd like to take with the person relationally? Nobody wrote anything, or you're all asleep from barbecue and dessert. Yes. Nice. And don't go bowling alone. To quote the title of a book, bring along. That's great. Good. Okay, good. Something just enjoyable and fun, like bowling. Maybe you could go together. No, <laughs> a double guy date. Ooh. 
Tracy, was that your hint? You are bolder than I am. Uh, that, that is an idea. That's awesome. And gutsy. I like it. All right. Others? Uh-huh. That's great. Yep. Yep. For sure. For sure. Did you guys want any guys? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ah. Uh. So a couple of years ago, I heard you guys did um, Gospel Comes to the House Key. Is that the name of the book? Okay. So um, there's um, also, if you're um, trying to learn how to, hospitality, see, to do hospitality and think about it evangelistically, um, Tim Chester's got a book called Meal with Jesus, which is a different way of looking at the Gospel of Luke, which is fascinating. And so entirely worth it as well. There are different conversations that happen when you have people over for a meal. It's just a reality. It changes the landscape. Um, one of mine, um, Brian, they have the Airbnb next door, and his wife, um, they, are, they bought another house across the lake that they're redoing. And um, this is, if you, know how much I if you knew how much I had to do on my house, you would realize how sacrificial this is to do. Um, but um, ask if I can help with his house redo. He's offered to help me. I've not offered to help him but I should. He's got plenty of work. I can help him. I have plenty of skills. Um, so I think that there's a lot of different ways um, that you can think about how to take a next step with someone, but you do have to think about it and then pray over it and then actually put it on your calendar and key it and do it. Make the invitation. Okay? And so that's by... I'm emphasizing prayer so much because I think that's what helps us get us over our discomfort, right? Lord, give me a heart for this person. Help me to prioritize them, not just me, right? And that prayer is, uh, is super important. All right. We're on the backside of your sheets. Uh, for this particular one, we've just done the, the bullet that says first step for your contacts. And we're down to Acts uh, chapter 17. So if you've got a Bible access to some sort of Bible, electronic or otherwise, um, turn to Acts uh, 17. Jeff, you guys are doing Acts this fall? Is that what I heard? Where, Jeff? In the evening. Okay. So you'll eventually get to this after lots of other fun stuff. So I'll do a little preview and you guys can dig into it a little bit more depth when you get there. So in Acts... 17, um, we, and starting at verse 16, um, we find Paul in Athens. And I just want to bring, draw your attention to a couple of things here. Um, so in verse 16, it says, Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Um. I think it's important that we, we read this rightly and we pray this for ourselves. 
I think that we can look out on people that are unbelievers and be frustrated with them. We can be judgmental of them. We can um, wonder how they could be so crazy in what they believe and what they practice. Um, That's not this. That's not what's going on here. What's going on here is Paul looking at people worshiping that which could never satisfy them and mourning. There's a big difference between judging and mourning. Uh, People worship what they do because they think somehow it will bring them full satisfaction. People over here, right, that are living functionally as oneists, they're doing the best that they can with what they've got. I was talking with Cassie. Some of you should meet Cassie if you haven't yet. People, she's a substance abuse counselor. Hopefully, I'm not portraying too much, but that people abuse substances because they think that that's the way that they can handle life. Everybody is just trying to figure out how to handle life. And people do all, they, they use all kinds of gifts in creation. They abuse them as some way to try and figure out how to handle their lives and the emotions that they feel inside. We do the same thing if you're honest with yourself. We may not do it with things which are so obviously destructive, but we do the same things. We abuse the good gifts in creation thinking that somehow they'll make us fully satisfied. So Paul, Tracy? Yeah. And if you know you're really messed up yourself, then you come to other people with a really different posture. So remember that all of this is by grace. That, that every single one of us would still be, those here tonight professing Christ, we would still be here unless God had done a work in us. And a work that was not because we said, please work in me. But it worked that God was like, mm, yeah, there's no hope for you unless I work in you. So I'm going to work in you. I'm going to set my love on you because that's the only hope for you. And when you can honestly say that, it changes your posture towards other people. So this Paul being provoked was looking at people worshiping things in creation that could never fully satisfy them because Paul understood that they were made for the Creator. And that's why he was provoked. So that's important to realize that that's, that's the, po- the heart posture that the Lord wants us to have towards people is uh, compassion and understanding. Yeah, you know what you know and you're trying to figure out how to make life work. I understand that. I do that too. And that changes your posture as it should. Go further down. Um, go down to verse 22. So this is actually Paul's address. So you, you get kind of some of his missionary investigation. and um, uh, But we go further down actually to his speech. Uh, let me just highlight a couple of things um, uh, about his speech. So this is uh, verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. What is that? It's a compliment. It's respect. Remember First Peter three fifteen. Maybe some of you that had um, one of the major campus ministries in your background is one of the verses that you probably would have been pushed to memorize. Right? Always be ready. Set apart Christ your heart. Always be ready to give reason for the hope that you have. But do this with. 
Gentleness and respect. What if the reputation for Christians wasn't what Tracy fears, and it's many times true, sadly, but it was gentleness and respect? What if that was our rep? We would be in a very different world, and that would be better. Keep going on in Acts 17. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. So Paul's here doing some, he's been doing some cultural religious study with a biblical lens on. Uh, This is what missionaries do when they go to other cultures. They try and figure out what's going on there, right? Uh, Broadly, but also with individual people. Um, The last time I did a significant revision of these notes, uh, it was in a time frame when Trump was still president. And a celebrity said it was karma that Trump got COVID. Now, that's actually very fascinating as a cultural or religious study item. That it was karma that Trump got COVID. If you're listening, people are speaking the worldview and beliefs all the time. If you're listening, you're listening carefully. You're thinking about it as sort of a a cultural religious uh, uh, detective. Keep going in Acts 17. The God who made the world and everything in it. Paul's first play. I'm going to proclaim to you. You've got an inscription to an unknown God. I'm going to tell you who that is. Paul's first play. Play, his first word is this. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Why does Paul say this? He establishes the Creator as the one with authority. He talks about the character of God. We get some of, our, some of our best texts here about the attributes of God from Paul's speech here, right? Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't live in temples. He's not served. He doesn't need anything. He's the one who actually, wonderful phrase here for us of a science background. He gives, he gives um, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. We sort of cliche say, Every breath's a gift from the Lord. Well, what if that was actually true? What if every day your gratitude was built on how many breaths you had that were individual gifts from God? Your gratitude would be bigger, I think. Mine would be bigger. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, he determined their allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should, why? So that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. That's what people are trying to do. They're trying to figure out, there's this hunger inside of me that I can't figure out how to get quenched. And that's what I'm trying to do with my life. And if you can see people that way, it'll change your perspective on them. He's not actually far from us. Because in him we live and move and have our, he quotes some poets, you know, knew some local um, cultural moments. You'll hear me use Hamilton tomorrow in the sermon. So if you are aware of the culture that's going on and you can attach to it in ways that are faithful to the scriptures and helpful to people, that's really good. That's exactly what Paul's doing here, right? Keep going on in his speech, go down to verse um, 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to... (gasps) He used the R word. I can't believe it. Yeah. Eventually, in our talking to people, it has to get pointed. The gospel is a summons from the Creator to rebellious creatures to repent and believe in the face of a coming judgment. 
It may not be your first play. This is scholars who look at this, think that surely Paul said all of this, but he probably said it in some personal conversations, some group conversations, some speeches, that it's a compilation of the kinds of things that he frequently spoke in the time that he spent here. But he eventually got to repentance. In verse 31, he gets to judgment. Um, and then he talks about the resurrection, which gets him mocked, right? He, he goes, really, Paul, you got to talk about a miracle. Really? People think you're ridiculous. They're scientific. They don't believe in miracles. They're materialists, right? You look at this, um, the, this particular scene that we're given here in Acts, what's the fruit of Paul preaching like this? Right? So some joined and followed him. Some mocked him. Some said, hmm, very interesting. Could we speak again, please? I think we just need to expect that and be okay with it. And trust that if we're gentle and respectful, that if someone mocks us, that the Spirit's not gone ahead of us in their lives, and it wasn't that particular conversation, wasn't one that was going to proceed further. And other people, and I can tell you this from witnessing to hundreds and hundreds of people through the years, that there are very many people if you actually love them and engage them, they will keep talking to you and keep talking to you. The election of Trump in 2016 was very, very interesting where I lived in Seattle. Um, as you might imagine, um, it was not exactly sort of MAGA country where I lived in West Seattle. Um, a couple of my um, most distinctively oneest friends, dear friends, were so disquieted by the election of Trump that they wanted to meet with me and have lunch with me because I had become the chaplain of this group and they had no one else to talk to. That was fascinating that the Lord gave me that privilege and opportunity, which is exactly what it was. People know if you're committed to them and love them, and they will, if you can work with them with gentleness and respect, they'll talk to you even if they haven't yet come to faith yet. Because they know that you're a safe person to talk to about the struggles of their life. I was, it was amazing to be given that privilege and opportunity. Completely unexpected, but wonderful. There are some people who for sure, you're going to get these three. You're going to get some mocking, you're going to get some interest, and you're going to get some people that believe. You know, think of the parable of the soils, right? Parable of the sower, right? Um, so this is the kind of thing that we're trying to learn. We're trying to learn how to do this in our own place and time thoughtfully. A barrier to learning this is that we tend to have a particular concept of what evangelism is. So we're on to the next bullet here. Traditional evangelism contracts, contrasted with relational evangelism. Traditional evangelism is the way that uh, when I um, had just come to Christ six months later, I think I told you one of my professors came, um, somebody actually that, I'm forgetting your name, brother, I'm sorry, Gary that Gary and one of my professors actually uh, were on the same team together at one point, which is insane. Anyhow, this guy was wonderful, and he shared the four spiritual laws with me about six months after I'd become a Christian, and I could understand it because I, I, this was now my framework, my worldview. And um, there was a time frame when that was evangelism, when you could just share a tract with somebody, and somebody would have this kind of base worldview sitting in the background, and it would sort of attach. And the way that most people think about evangelism is it's something that you can sit down and do in one shot with a tract, right? Maybe some of you had EE years ago, right? So it's important that you realize when I use the word evangelism, uh, what comes to mind? What do you conceive of? What do you think of it as, right? Do you think of it like that? Uh, in 
here's my label, an impersonal interaction using a stock presentation. Is that what you think about when you say evangelism? If you go to the next page in your notes, um, this is from Will Will Metzger's book, um, Tell the Truth, again, used by the gracious permission of InterVarsity Press. Um, What uh, what Metzger would call that form of evangelism that I was originally taught when I was a student with Crew uh, was uh, approach B, which is a hit and run. You begin the conversation, you go right to the core of everything, you say what you're going to say, and you get out of there, right? And he would call that a, a hit and run, which if you've ever been involved in a hit and run accident, is no fun. Um, it's, it's no fun to experience it, whether it's a spiritual basis or not. Uh, That's a mistaken way of thinking about evangelism, is a hit and run. A different mistaken way to think about evangelism is that approach A, just to the left of it on that page, which is that you have this conversation that begins and you sort of stay in this layer of common interests, and you never get any deeper than that. Um, Where I do work up in, in the Baltimore area, um, I don't know how, who y'all root for in, in football, but uh, up there, you go out for dinner and there's a game on, and it was the Ravens and the Commanders playing. And it was like, there's no way to win here. There's, there's, you're going to piss somebody off. It's going to happen, whoever you root for. So what does the guy next to me say? Who you root for. <laughs> it's like, oh. Anyways, so there's, 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 uh, yeah, Seattle. That's what I told them. I was like, oh, I'm from the Northwest. I room for Seattle. They're going to be lousy this year. Anyways, but we can sort of like only talk about very superficial things and never get deeper in. And that's also a mistake to only stay there. The, um, it, the, the problem with the hit and run is it doesn't treat people like a person. It's not personal. It's also not tuned. It's not thoughtful. It's not um, what you saw Paul doing, sort of that missionary detective work in Athens, right? You hear it also in Paul in 1 Corinthians 9. He talks about being a Greek to Greek and a Jew to Jews. He thought about how to carry himself and what to say. Even when you go through Acts in the evening um, gatherings, uh, you'll see that the way that Paul goes about preaching the gospel varies from place to place. Same message. But the door that he walks through really varies because he's really trying to think about what's the state of the person I'm talking to? Where are they at? And how do I help them take the next step towards faith? Um, So traditional evangelists, I think the hit and run is very many times it's impersonal, not that relational. I'm trying to, to move towards something that's much more, help you move towards something that's much more relational. Um, but relationally evangelistic, not simply relational, but relationally evangelistically, right? To be biblical evangelism, the message has to be spoken. It also doesn't have to be spoken in one sitting. In fact, it probably shouldn't be. Um, the friends that spent time with me before I knew Christ I, if I added up the number of hours of conversation that they had with me through time, we'd be in the hundreds of hours among the four main people that spoke to me about the gospel. They put up with hours of conversation with me because that's how far I had to come and how many dominoes had to fall. And so um, the point of long-term relationships is that you've got this place where many conversations can happen. Um, The guy that I learned, I'll tell you, I could tell you, I have four names in here, and I could tell you stories about each one of them. Um, But I'll I'll tell you another, I'll tell you another, um, my scoutmaster, we called him Doc Terry, he was our veterinarian, as well as scoutmaster. When I was a senior, um, and had just graduated from from high school, age out of scouts at age 18, and so I had about a month that I could still do stuff with scouts before I aged out. And um, the last trip that I took with scouts was a canoe trip up in the mountains in very northern New York in the Adirondacks. And um, I drove with our scoutmaster, Terry, and a Catholic friend of mine that we've been in scouts with together. 
And we talked for six hours about spiritual things, the entire drive up there. We talked for six hours. Um, I am a product of the kind of evangelism that I'm trying to talk to you about. So I am convinced of it because I was the recipient of it. And I know the number of steps that it takes in order um, to come to an, an authentic faith from a place where you're solidly in, in oneism. So I'm a fan of it because I'm a product of it. Um, I think that God is looking for us um, to be willing to sow, not just quick opportunities to reap. Um, tomorrow I'm going to commend to you a book by Tim Downs, who is actually a, a crew guy called Finding Common Ground. It was an award winner the year it was released. Uh, there's some questions further on in your packet from his stuff that are really helpful for getting um, to know people. And uh, what Downs talks about is the difference between picking tomatoes and growing tomato plants. The difference between picking tomatoes and growing tomato plants. And much of what we're doing with people is not picking tomatoes. It's growing tomato plants. Many times from seed. Which if you've ever grown any vegetables from seed, can be a rather challenging adventure. But that's the business that we're in. Relational evangelism sees that people are sometimes many steps away from beginning a lifestyle of repentance and faith. Relational evangelism is content to be a part of what God is doing in a person's life at this moment. And I think that God's desire for you and for me is that we'd be willing to discover where a person is and just help them take one step closer to Christ. And so really the calling for us is to, de to develop so that we are adept conversationalists. That we are adept conversationalists. That we grow in our ability to have conversations with people. If you're looking at the, the Metzger page, figure four, three ways to converse about Christ. If you look at the bottom one, um, this is, his, this is the way that, that he grew and to develop and to speak the gospel to people and taught people and, and does obviously through his book. And so what you see is you follow the line, the conversation begins and it moves in through interests, um, common interests into values and attitudes, and then finally into personal beliefs. Now, it, you've got to be adept at conversation to do that, to grow to learn how to do that. If you go to the back of that same page, he gives you an example, and it's actually a quite fun one and a quite good one, and it's, it should be, it's meant to be provocative to help you think about there are ways in every area of life to make a point. Just one point, one next step with somebody. So on your cards, uh, we've talked about what's the next event you'd like the next time to meet up with somebody. The spot after that the question after that, if you know where they are, is what's the next thing you want to talk to them about? So not just the next thing you want to do, but what's the next thing you want to talk to them about? Okay? Yep. Yeah, I think what I mean is that uh, there's an art to asking questions. There's an art to thoughtfully engaging people, which involves both listening and asking good questions. We'll talk about this some tomorrow night. Um, and so I think that, the, yeah, it's, it's an art form. Um, I didn't grow up with this at all. I grew up with two introverts, two pagan introverts as parents. We lived in the woods on 20 acres. We had no family friends. So I grew up with no conversation at all. When I met my wife, comes from a very relational family, they all came to faith over time, although she also grew up pagan, but they, over time, the Lord worked and her entire family has come to faith. It's beautiful, it's wonderful. It's why we live close by them, because it's a great joy. My two brothers-in-law are two of my best friends in the world, which is a privilege. It's, um, it is 
I can't even describe for you how wonderful it is to be a part of my wife's family because the Lord has worked so profoundly in them. All through relational evangelism, by the way. When I joined my wife's family, or when we were contemplating that, my wife was like, you're going to need to learn how to ask questions. And I was like, what? And she was like, that's how relationships happen. You ask questions and then you shut up. I'm a New Yorker. We don't shut up. And she was like, you need to learn how to shut up. Yes, honey. Um, And quite literally, my wife's family taught me how to be relational, how to ask good questions, and then shut up and listen. And so I am proof positive that you can be very different. You feel very weak in this? I have great news for you. You can grow into this because the Lord's grown me into it. You can learn this. But you also have to want it. All right, here's Metzger's example. Yeah, I lied, Josh. I'm actually going to... I'm actually going to be, be that one of those last minutes. Um, all right, so here's, uh, so figure five, conversational evangelism from Metzger's book. A, an area of interest, art or beauty. First question, immediate question, why do you feel a need to be creative? Fascinating. That's a great question. Abstract question. Why do you, why do you think people are creative at all? Why is creativity an instinct for us? Let the person talk. You know, from, from where I sit, now I'm a Christian believer, we believe that man's created in God's image, and so people reflect his creativity and beauty. Would you want to know more about that, God? See how that's a very different pathway, a very different avenue to walk into, a different door to walk into. There are doors like this in people's lives. We're going to talk about this more tomorrow night. If you're listening, if you're paying attention, if you take notes, either mental or physical notes, um, there are doors like this to walk into in everybody's life that you, that you meet. If you hear their story, you have more doors to walk through than then you'd know if you learn how to do this, if you learn to listen, right? And have the opportunity to do it. Um, this approach, why, why am I a fan of it? It's well-tuned to ongoing relationships with people where you can in bits and pieces share aspects of the entire gospel message. So I said earlier um, in your packet there, after the first page, I, I gave you, this actually this happens twice in your packet, that's on purpose, it's not a mistake. This, um, the amplified version of um, Metzger's uh, Come Home outline. Um, one of the reasons why I like it is it's comprehensive. The other reason that I like it is that it shows you that there's a whole series of dominoes that need to go down, and you only need to focus on one domino at a time. And they don't have to be in order. This has a sequence in order to it that makes sense, but you don't have to do it in order. It just has to be that you've done all of them at some point. And so you can think about what's the, what domino am I on, right? The last, where this outline starts was uh, the number three was the last domino to fall for me. One and two and the other ones I was already convinced of, but I wasn't convinced uh, about my own sinfulness. That was the last domino to fall for me. The other were dominoes that had already fallen. So thinking about what are the conversations that this person needs? What's the next domino to fall for them, for them to be moving from over here to thoughtful belief over here? Does that make sense? Uh, tomorrow night, what I'm going to do um, is I'm going to share a way that I like to use to get to know new people, and to give myself some potential doors to walk through in later conversations. Um, so, uh, okay, I went pretty quick, but does that make sense? Do you want to ask questions? I'll stick around. Um, but that's about what I had for you um, tonight. Um, but I'll, I'll take questions, and if you need to grab your kids, you can. And, um, and I'll also stick around and 
talk with anybody that wants. So questions. Sir, uh, Jeff wants me to pray and then take questions. That is what the symbols looked like, at least he was holding up. Universal symbol for pray. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I realize that this is a brainful. Uh, I trust that it's helpful. Uh, you give us uh, in Paul um, a, a, a helpful example of what it looks like when we choose to live this way. Uh, for the sake of people loving them and that they know it. And so we become the ones that they turn to. And so we pray for my friends here that, that you would continue to form them in Christ, that they would become those kinds of people. And that they grow in their ability to diagnose and to understand and to see where people are at because they've asked good questions and listened well. And you give them wisdom about um, how to speak a word in time that would help uh, raise a point about the gospel in a conversation. Give us the wisdom to do this. Give us the heart to do this. Give us the, the desire to do this. To live for the sake of others. Help us to rest well tonight and to come to worship tomorrow to continue to learn from you, from your word and to grow into this calling that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.